0: I was a youth pastor or a youth minister volunteer for the greater part of my adult life. And I love student ministry, I do. I am a champion of what um, Derek and Pam and uh, Pastor Donnie and Jim get to do. And I believe in sowing into and loving and supporting and encouraging the next generation. And it's so, it really is so important in the life and the vibrancy of the church. In fact, if you look at church history, Um, Every time there is a spiritual awakening that happened in American history, it happened through the younger generations. And so anyhow, there there are a lot of intense moments in youth ministry. Can I get an amen, Pastor Derek, Pastor Pam? (laughs) And I know this uh, from experience. I'm not just talking about the ministry time, though. I mean, there's so tons of those moments, powerful, life-changing moments, you know, of ministry at youth group and camps. And retreats but there are other kinds of intense moments too like you know when you're playing games (laughs) freeze tag for instance used to be a standard way back when I was a kid in youth group and some of you uh, anybody remember you've you've been in the depths of freeze tag before and so the youth leader would look at us and say here's what's about to happen in just a moment there are going to be a wave of frozen people in this room uh, when the person that's it tags them, their ice, and you have the choice then, sir or madam, to help them out <laughs> or not. Some of you will still be free, and in that moment, you're going to make choices on how to use your freedom. Now, some of you, what you're going to do is you're going to go and you're going to find the farthest corner in the room, and you're going to hide out, and you're going to stay safe. But the rest of you you're gonna to choose to use your freedom to set other people free. And so you're gonna do that by diving between the legs of those that are frozen, that's how you unfree them in our game, and when you do that, they unfreeze and you can be a part of this wave that is setting people free. Now I know some of you, I know, because of how you are wired, that some of you took that very, very seriously. (laughs) And you made it your mission to free your friends that were frozen. And so when I think back to that, I think that's actually pretty motivational. It's pretty awesome. I was one of those that took it pretty seriously because I was like the fastest in my class. And so it was up to me, right? And so and that's the world today, that the world's a dark place, and we know that, we feel that, there's something wrong, and, and we know what that is through Scripture, and we get to respond with how we're going to handle that. As the world is unjust, and it's cruel to us, we can make the decision, well, I'll be a part of the problem, um, that's what Jean Valjean did in Les Mis, right? The world hated me, and so in response, he sentenced the world to his hatred, right? If you're familiar with that story. I will hate you right back, was his response. And, and, and that's what the young men did at Columbine, right? The last letter that they wrote before they opened fire there, they said the world's been cruel to us and so we will join in the cruelty. Others of us, when we see the world as an unjust place and a dangerous, scary place, what do we do? In an act of pure self-preservation, we run to the safest corner possible, we grab a blanket, we make ourselves comfortable and just wait it out until our inevitable cold demise. Others of us say, I want a different life, and I'm going to join in the ever-growing wave of those who have been set free, and I will use my liberty to set other people free. That's the choice that's before us. And so we've been in this series about the missing piece with the idea that Jesus came to bring peace. Last week was about internal peace, how we can experience that. This week is about external peace. How do I become part of the solution that into the darkness, God sent a solution. When the world broke, when we broke faith with God, when relationship with God broke, intimacy among humanity broke, and even our relationship with the very ground broke, scripture says. But shalom, the peace, all that it should be, all that was God's standard, was severed. But God, in that moment, did not send a list of rules to fix us. He sent a ruler, right? He, he didn't send a set of laws, he sent a savior. He didn't send us principles, but he sent us the prince of peace, That's what we've been talking about. This has been the conversation. I'm coming to bring peace back to you. And yet I know people hear that and they go, Jesus came to bring peace? And that's what we celebrate this time of year. uh, Peace on earth, peace to you, peace to all men. And yet I know that some of us, if we're honest, we look at that, we hear that, and we go, okay, Jesus came to bring peace, but just really... How good of a job did he do? Because the world seems like it's in this crazy mess. Look at the wars that are constantly being fought. Um, look at the people that are being abused. Look at the children that are being exploited. And so we asked the question, where is the peace? And yet, if you look at the Bible, you see that God, when he saw the anti-peace, he did something decisive about it. Jesus stepped into it, lived the perfect life that we cannot, and then he took the consequences of our anti-peace onto himself. Why? So he could bring us into a new kind of life. So we see it in 2 Corinthians. And if you can, if you would this morning, stand with me to honor God's opening word to us. I'll read it this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, right? And interesting to us the message of reconciliation. The last verse, therefore, we are are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Father God, peacemaker, we just um, speak to you this morning and we just declare that you're the peacemaker first of all. Thank you for um, flourishing in our lives. Thank you for the flourishing this morning in our lives. God, help us to be an extension of all that you've called us to be ambassadors in your kingdom. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. So do you see what happened? Jesus did something. (laughs) He did do something decisive. He did something very decisive, and he reconciled us to God, and he made peace between us and God again. He rewove shalom between us and God again, made things right, and then he changed something about us. He charged us with something, and he said, I'm bringing peace to you, and I also want to bring peace through you is the language you use. I'm going to uh, reconcile you to God, and then I'm going to give you the ministry, it says, of reconciliation. I'm going to make you an ambassador. And then we implore others to be reconciled to God. And do you see that he changes the noun before he changes the verb? He changes our identity before he changes the activity. I am making you a new creation, and I am making you an ambassador. Jesus brings peace to people who put their faith in him and then he calls us to be a part of that great work of using our liberty to liberate others. We're meant to join in the game. So going back to our uh, freeze tag analogy, he unfroze our dead hearts. And we're meant to leverage our freedom to unfreeze others' hearts. So if you ask what is God doing in the world, Jesus' intent was not only to bring peace to you, but Jesus intends to bring peace through you. That is God's standard. That's the message today. Jesus intends to not just bring peace to you, and although he will do that and has done that, he intends to bring peace through you. You are a part of. Of the solution to the world today. So, when the world was broke, Jesus stepped in and did something decisive. And so, as we step into the world, we don't step in and go, Man, this world is so dark, this city is so cold, everybody's mean like we're victims. No, we say, Jesus stepped in and did something decisive. So, when I step into my neighborhood, I'm gonna do something decisive. I am gonna carry the peace. The shalom that Jesus brought into this world and my neighborhood should be different because I exist there. My office should look different because I'm there. My school should look different because I am there. So I'm a carrier. This is what Jesus taught us to do. You remember when he started his ministry, he came around and he started telling people, repent, you know, a new kingdom is at hand, a whole new operation and a whole new um, kingdom is advancing. And people... Sort of maybe we're picking up on the message at first, but then he started taking diseases away. He started casting out demons. He was raising the dead, and people started talk, taking him way more seriously. And so he developed this kind of critical mass that happened there. And when a big group of people started to follow him and it kind of got to this crescendo, he sat them all down sit them all down on the hillside, and he gave kind of this kingdom manifesto. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in that talk, he says to them, just one of many lines, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now you hear that, and you've got to understand, first of all, he's not telling you how to become a son of God. It's not, you know, you... Go bring peace to the world, and then you know maybe I'll make you a son. That's not the conversation that's happening there. The Bible is clear on how you become a son. John 1:12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, Galatians 3: For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So when I put my faith in the Prince of Peace, I have peace with God. What he's saying is when you put your faith. In the only begotten son, you become an adopted son or a daughter, the son of God. He is the prince of peace. He made peace with us, and he makes us into peacemakers. He doesn't just want to do something to you. He wants to do something through you. So what it's saying here is not be a peacemaker in order to be a son of God. It's saying when Jesus makes you a son or a daughter of God, you become a peacemaker. You see that this morning? You become a peacemaker. You become a force for good in the world. So he changes us when we become part of his family. And what it's saying here is that you look like your father God. My children don't act like me in order to become my kids right? My children act like me because they are my kids. My kids have Deanna and, and my mannerisms, my language, um, my, my leanings, my inflections, all that other stuff. You ever hear one of your kids say something and it's like you're hearing yourself, hey, like I would say that, <laughs> right? And it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. <laughs> so, You know, you you hear that and you say, no, that's why she says that. You know, she she didn't say that in hopes that I will say, and now you will be my daughter. (laughs) Right? She, She acts like me because she's from me. My children don't act like I do to become my kids. My children act like me because they are my kids. And so do you see it? Blessed are the peacemakers because they will become sons of God. You see that? And so people will look at you and say, that's a true child of the king. Why? Because they look like him. That person has to know Jesus in a way I don't because they act like him. And so Jesus is in the business of setting people free and we're not supposed to be a part of the problem, you know, or seeking self-preservation. We are meant to leverage our lives to set others free in Jesus' name. That's who we're meant to be. Do you see it? God is a peacemaker And so I'm a peacemaker too. So then the question becomes, how do we do it? If that's a role that he gave us and then he entrusted us to be reconcilers in the world, we're meant to make a difference. In Rapid City, South Dakota, how do we do it? What does it mean? Well, he tells you later in the same sermon. I'm going to move forward a few verses here. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor And hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's everybody's favorite verse, I think, right there. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He links the two. Peacemakers look like the father. And it says. then it says, their father makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So what he's saying is, you are called to be a peacemaker this morning. And you go, well then how do I do that? I'm to be a force of good in the world, how do I become a peacemaker? So first thing I want you to write down, peacemakers extend love beyond expected boundaries. Peacemakers extend love beyond expected boundaries. That's what peacemakers do. How are we gonna be peacemakers in the world? Peacemakers extend love beyond expected boundaries. And so, did you, did you see in the text, he says, you've been told, love your friends, love your neighbors, hate your enemies, which, which, which truly is this kind of how we operate in the world, right? You've been told, this is what you've been told, uh, and that's how we operate a lot of times. We typically have this spectrum of relationships. You have family and friends, uh, and love is extended through you to those circles, right, allegedly, Right? And so then you have acquaintances and you have enemies. And what do we typically do? Well, I love my friends and I love my family. And I talk to and I tolerate acquaintances. You know, they're in my life, but it it can become more maybe if they're cute or socially advantageous, you know. But I tolerate their existence, right? But my enemies, and some of you go, well, Sean, I'm not even sure if I have enemies. Okay, fair enough. But maybe if you think about it, you have those people that just kind of are great, you you know, you can't stand it, you don't like being around, and you secretly are hoping that they might fail in life. And whenever they do have a setback, you're kind of inwardly rejoicing. (laughs) And and what do you do for those people? Wish doom on them, they must go, right? (sighs) They must go away, or we actively talk bad about them, or if you're really proactive, maybe you're the proactive type, you just punch them in the face (laughs) and get it over and done with hate to the enemies, right? So there's this language of love, tolerance, and hate. And the world sees that and they go, well, that makes a ton of sense. That makes sense. But what God is saying here, he says, I should love through the whole system. Love goes from my family to my friends, to acquaintances, to my enemy. I even love my enemies. You see, peacemakers extend love beyond The expected boundaries. Why? Maybe for starters, because that's what God did for us. That's what he did for us, right? While we were his enemies, Ephesians will say, Christ died for us. God loved us when we weren't loving him back. And so we are meant to do the same. Why do we do that? Because we understand if we know God that love precedes life change. Love precedes life change. That's what the Bible teaches us, that it's the kindness of God, right, that leads to repentance. How do we change in life? It's the love of God that shoots out first. God taught us that. Frozen taught us that. How do we turn Elsa from someone who's destructive, right? That there were two ideas, right? We could murder her, or, or, or I can sacrifice my life for her. Those were the two propositions that were put forward in the end of that story, right? When when I sacrificed my life for her while she was killing me, what did it do? It unfolded that frozen heart. And you become a force for good rather than destruction. Love preceded life change. That's what happened uh, for the rest of us in Beauty and the Beast. That's what that story taught us, right? What was the moral of the story? How does a monster become a man? You must be loved before you become lovable, right? And someone has to care about you in order for you to be someone who cares back, right? And so we believe that in society. That's why many of us are trying to love kids who are in dangerous places, because you know, we want their hearts to say stuff and not become hardened, right? That, that love precedes life change, so we love all the way down even to our enemies. Now, in my advocating, some of you ...really do have some very real and upfront enemies in your life this morning. And, and I'm talking about someone who abused you or hurt you. Am I saying uh, for you to start calling them up? Like, you know, let them back in your orbit? No. Because here's, here's the thing. Paul will tell you in, uh, in Romans, if possible... ...so f- far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, some of you, it's not safe for you to be around certain people emotionally... Or physically and I'm so I'm not advocating for that this morning there is a healthy distance for you and there's actually a healthy distance that they must come to right and uh, so I'm not advocating putting yourself in a dangerous position and yet this morning I don't want to cheapen it I don't want to cheapen the call people who know the love of God we shoot love across every boundary friends family uh, acquaintances and we love our enemies even the people who hurt us so when the when they wound us we send love right back. Our standard of behavior is not the world's, because that would be the world's standard of behavior, right? But our standard of behavior is our Savior, because that's who we are. We're peacemakers, right? And so we can, we can say it this morning it is the way. Somebody in here is going to get that. Now, some of us hear that, and you go, Sean. Lovely sentiment, very practical, um, uh, or no, actually lovely sentiment, but very impractical. And we'll, we'll look at this, and I mean, what are you trying to say? Love your enemy, like, what am I supposed to do? Is there something that, you know, that's, that's tried to get me fired? There's somebody that I know that talks bad about me. I know that this is part of the story. There's somebody who agrees with a set of policies that I think is going to be destructive for our society. And, you know, our response is, I must silence them, doom must come, (laughs) right? Many times, you're telling me to love them, and you're like, yeah, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information. Well, here's what's great. Jesus gives us two verbs, and he says, There's, here's two things that I want you to do, and I would guess that they would come as a surprise to some of us this morning. How do you become a peacemaker? Peace extends love, first of all, across expected boundaries, but how do you do it? He gives us two ways in these verses this morning. The first one is by prayer. By prayer. He says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So peacemakers pray for their persecutors. And not just like, Lord, I pray that you would smite her. (laughs) God, I pray that you would cut her down at the knees and remove from her all of her social media advantages and her beauty and strength. Amen. It's not praying doom on your enemies, it's praying for those who persecute you. And you say, well, how, how do I do that? Well, funny you say that because he gives us a prayer, again, in the same passage, it's where we get the Lord's prayer from, and I, I just want to encourage you, you can pray that over the people. I'm gonna, we're going to put it up on the screen here. And you, so you could, you could say, Lord, I, I just pray that they would hollow your name. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come in their life. I pray that your will be done for them. God, I pray that you would provide for them and their family what they need to flourish. God, I pray that you would put forgiveness in their hearts so that they forgive others. And while I'm saying that, I forgive them too. God, I pray that you would deliver them from dangerous temptations. I pray that you protect them from evil, and I pray your kingdom and your power and your glory would flourish in their life. I'm praying that the enemy becomes a friend. That's what we're meant to do, right? And some of you hear that and you go, well, man, I don't know. That's that's a cute sentiment, but, you know, how do we really do this? So you by yourself are sometimes powerless to generate love for a person. And so some people will try to diminish the word love here. Love's not a feeling, well, it's just a verb. Well, no, let me correct you there. Love is a feeling that prompts verbs. Love is a feeling that prompts verbs. And so you're meant to really have an affection for others. But some of you go, yeah, I don't know how to have affection for them. And again, I want to bring this up gently this morning. Some of us are on different sides of policy decisions, of political discussions, and I just want us here to try to imagine that sometimes people on different sides of the aisle have trouble getting along. I know it's hard to imagine, but just by faith, consider it. And you go, what do you do? Do you suddenly go, well, I'm just gonna keep staring at their picture until my heart engenders love for them? No, what you do is you start by praying for them. And God, would you bless their life? And here's what's crazy. They might not be the only one that changes when you do that. You might change too. God may do this just to bring a little more peace into the world and into your orbit And then to theirs as well. So I remember for me over the years, I've had a lot of people in my life who are encouragers. And then others who, you know, not so much. (laughs) In particular, I remember this one kid in youth group who would come up to me after almost every message. This was for a, felt like for a very long (laughs) season. And tell me how much better I could have done. He, I, I mean, you know, how I wasn't connecting with his peers, how this other person that he was watching online was so much better. And I don't know, you know, if you know how preparing for messages works, but for me, you don't just study to understand the text. You also put your heart and your soul and your blood into it. And so it's a very personal thing. You know, the word of God um, through me, albeit imperfect, you know, and tarnished me to you. So it's a vulnerable place to be. And yet you stand on the stage and you do it and you hope that your sense of dignity, you know, kind of stays intact. And so I'm, I'm doing that every week and inevitably this kid would come up and he'd be like, hey man, that's great for somebody that's just starting out. <laughs> um, but, you know, have you heard of this other guy? This other guy's incredible. Every time he opens up his mouth, I mean, tears come and my life has changed. And I got to tell you, I'm generally fairly good at loving people. (laughs) But this was happening every single week of my life, and resentment was starting to build. And, you know, I I was kind of on shaky ground kind of... um, as a, as a new youth pastor anyways, and, and just kind of my self-worth and kind of building that and, and, and all of that. So I remember feeling like, I really don't want to hear this every single week. And I need him to stop, and I need him to go away because he's chipping away at my self-confidence and my belief and my ability. And so I wasn't praying actively against him, uh, but I was kind of rooting for it, you know, internally. <laughs> like, you know, if something went wrong, <laughs> right? And so look, I know you're not supposed to say stuff like this, but if we're being honest, there's probably been somebody, maybe in your office, you like being the funny guy, and maybe they're just a little too funny, <laughs> right? And, and you're like, he needs to go away. Or, you know, you want to rise up in the company, and there's some rival that just seems a little too similar to you. And so you're maybe just hoping maybe something bad will happen. You never say it out loud, but you're like, God, you know, if they just kind of have a moral breakdown, I'd be totally okay with that. And so I come to the realization as I'm kind of processing through this, I don't like this. I don't like what this is making me. I don't like what it's, what's becoming of me inside. But I didn't know what to do, so I just started praying for him. And as I started praying, I heard a story from one of our volunteers um, of his home life, and it was not the best. Um, And I just started praying that God would bless him and his family, as hard as it was at first, and I started um, asking God to open up the scripture to him, that he would understand it, even if it was coming from me. And, um, and then that naturally bled into his relationships with his family and with me. And I could just picture the blessings I was asking for, for his family and hope, you know, for his home environment. I'd prayed that he'd be blessed when he came to youth group. I started praying that specifically. And so God began to root out of me, me the really selfish, insecure feeling and began to give me compassion for this kid that wasn't there before. And so I started praying for that. And you know what happened? All that resentment kind of started bleeding out and I started to actually love this kid. I started actually enjoying seeing him coming uh, through the door. Eventually there was nothing but love in my heart for him. And I began to become a a pastor that, uh, you know, sowed with joy into his life. And, it, and I got to be a part of watching him grow in his love for Jesus in the church. And before long, this same kid was coming through the doors and he was giving me a big high five and he would always want a hug when he came through the door on Wednesday nights. And he ended up several times, he ended up in the long run several times saying some very specific encouragements that gave me some deep life that I needed to hear. And so, you know what? It, it meant so much to me coming from him. And so what I realized is God totally changed my heart. And I really grew a deep appreciation for that young man. And the world's hopefully a better place. God made me a prayer warrior for him. And there's just a little more peace in the world. Why? Because of prayer. Because of prayer. And so I want to tell some of you, it may seem too small. You know, hey, just pray for your enemies. But I want to dare you to do it. I I dare you to think about that person that you have trouble thinking about even right now, that person that you hate on the other side of the political spectrum, on the other side of the office, on the other side of everything that you believe. What if you prayed that God would bless them, that God would help that person flourish? The best possible outcome is that an enemy would become a friend. That's what you're praying for. Don't pray for their death Pray for their conversion. Pray for God to make them something new. Pray for God to change them. That's what you want to be a part of. God says that he will do that. And so, thank goodness Jesus was like that, amen? He practiced what he preached as he hung on the cross. And people spat at him and cursed him. He didn't call down fire. We tend to think in our culture, well, I love my friends, but I hate my enemies, right? That's what we do. But what does Jesus say? He says that's not impressive, that's not a powerful thing in the scriptures that we just read. The, odds, the odd thing about this is what you're basically saying is I love the people who agree with me, I love who I like. That, that is not a stellar condemnation, uh, commendation of your philosophy there. Because everybody does that, right? Everybody does that. that. That doesn't make you an extraordinary person, that just makes you a person. We love the people you like, but can you can tell that the power of God is at work in you when love extends through you to even your enemies. Jesus, think about it, while they were murdering him, didn't stand on that cross. As they were spitting on him, retaliate and say, do that one more time. He didn't spit back how different that would be if that was our God. I'm fixing to come down here and really show you who I am, right? (laughs) He could have done that. He could have said, you hurt me, I'm justified to hurt you back. Is that what he does? What does he do? He said, Father, forgive them. because he knew that our enemy is not that person. The enemy is spiritual, who's done something to that person. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and spiritual principalities. It's a spiritual fight. I'm not fighting against that person that I disagree with. I'm fighting, get this, I'm fighting for them. I want them to win. I want shalom. I want peace in the world, so I start by praying for them Father, forgive them. When Jesus prayed that one of the Roman soldiers, he converted at the foot of the cross because he said, I've never seen anything like that. Truly, this is the son of God. And I promise you, you start praying for your enemy, you'll have a soft heart for them and they will see the power of God in you. So would you be willing to try that? Would you be willing to even try it this week? When that bile and that hatred kind of comes up, just pray for them. God, forgive them. God, do a powerful work to thaw their frozen heart and break up the hardness of it. Make an instrument of hate an instrument of love. Make that person something more than what they are. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in their life. Peacemakers bring peace by extending love across The expected boundaries. How do you do it? Number one, you pray for your enemy. Try it. The other thing you do, this is... Kind of jumped out at me. This I'd never seen this before, but it's it's another simple thing. You greet them. Okay, we're making this into a point in the message. Yes, I'm making this a point in the message. This one caught me by surprise. I don't know how you feel about that, but I expected you know Jesus to say something like, you know, be a peacemaker. How? Well, by giving all your money to the poor, by 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 giving your spare minutes in the soup kitchen, by um, you know taking your moments of life and giving it to others. But what Jesus says here, it's right here in the scripture that we read this morning. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. He says, do you know what I want you to do in the name of Jesus to spread peace across the land? I want you to greet people. I want you to stop giving them the style of treatment. Stop ignoring them. I want you to greet them. I think some of us are like, really, that's it? Say hi. You know, that's the takeaway. It seems really small. But think about this. What is greeting somebody? I'll tell you. When you look somebody in the eye, you're acknowledging them. That's, that's the first thing. And by doing so, you are extending a little bit of dignity to them. Have you ever had somebody not do that? I mean, I have. You know how, how people tend to make fun of mall cops? <laughs> well, I was a security officer wearing that outfit um, for several years, three years when I was a, a student at Christ for the Nations. I worked as a security officer in some very um, uh, well-to-do, multi-million dollar high-rise facilities, similar to what you would see, you know, in everybody's favorite Christmas movie, Die Hard. All right. <laughs> um, now, there were a lot of great people <laughs> that worked in those buildings, but I can tell you also that there were a lot of suits in those buildings that would not even look me in the eye. And it was, it was like the security personnel were just another resource or a tool for their well-being, and that's it. People were really rude. And, you know, so I would greet them, and I would welcome them, you know, with my big smile. And some of them wouldn't even raise their hand uh, their head in a nod or acknowledge that I existed in any way. And I would say, good morning. You know, and they didn't say anything back. And sometimes, you know, after a while, after you realize that this is something, the snub that's happening every single day, after about an hour, I just want to be like, I'm a person. I'm a person standing here. I felt belittled and even degraded sometimes by the people who just weren't kind. And so when i greet somebody i'm acknowledging that they exist i'm giving you dignity and i'm not i'm I'm not just acknowledging but i'm acknowledging in a friendly way and i'm extending respect and kindness to people when i greet them that can be a tough thing to do right easy to do with friends easy to do with family but what if we started doing it with just the acquaintances what if we even extended our lives with kindness and respect towards our enemies if we lead with kindness and mercy do you think the world might be a different place When I was um, part of my tenure there as working security in downtown Dallas, I witnessed a lot of stuff on the streets that I'd never seen before coming from small town um, South Dakota. And one of those things was homelessness. Um, And honestly, I I, I saw a lot of it. I saw a lot of, um, in fact, one of my number one jobs as a security officer in the neighborhood that I was in Um, was, you know, the safety and protection of the employees. So I was literally standing out there, and my job was to make my employees feel safe in the midst of a very, um, you know, there there are a lot of vagrants, there are a lot of street people, there are a lot of people on the streets. And honestly, um, I'm not proud to say this, but I I quickly became pretty jaded because I saw so many um, panhandlers taking advantage of people and and go blow it on alcohol and, and other addictions time after time. But I could feel my heart getting hard. And I was, a Bible, um, I was in Bible school at the time, and I prayed for God to soften it because, again, I didn't like what was happening in me. And so I was working graveyard shift um, at the time, and this one guy, I don't even remember his name now, um, but he'd come every night. He'd come about 1 a.m., about a half an hour before I got off my, my shift, and he'd take his shirt off. He would take his shirt off his back, and he would lay it on the, the pavement in the parking lot in front of a dumpster where the employees in this high-rise building that I worked for threw their trash. He would take off his shirt and he would dive into that dumpster. And he would go in there and I would watch him. I was, I was sitting at my post. It was the last 30 minutes of my shift. It was usually a very quiet um, time. I would watch him dump, dive into that dumpster and he would find food that other people had thrown away. And he would throw it out. And he would put it on his shirt that was on the pavement. He'd kind of throw it out from the dumpster. And I would watch him do that night after night after night. He would eat the food off of his shirt. He'd kind of shake it off. And then he'd put the shirt back on his back and walk off. And so a good friend of mine, Joel and I, um, who is a student with me at Christ for the Nations and also a security guard at the same place, we talked about it. And actually, we we really felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something. And my heart started changing. And so we learned his name. We started looking him in the face. We greeted him. We started to know his story. And I want to say his name was Josh. Josh would come. And we would watch him every single night. And the more that we got to know him and know his story, the more our heart broke. And there was just something that would not allow us, as sons of God, to just watch. And so my friend and I, we devised a plan. To surprise Josh one night and we with all of our savings you know as rich young men in college <laughs> saved up some money and we bought some blankets we bought some clothes bought some new shoes we got some amazing fried chicken from the best fried chicken place on the planet Williams chicken <laughs> and buns sweet tea and we watched I took my seat that night in my little guard shack and I watched with a different perspective this time and I watched him get in the dumpster he jumped in just like he did every night after he took off his shirt And this is what we saw. A head popped up, and he was looking around. (laughs) And we waved. We started walking over to him, and we gave him a big hug. And so we talked to him about his story, and we had done some research, and we had um, gotten some information about some Christian organizations and some groups and churches that were doing some important ministries in the city to make sure that um, people like Josh were fed and clothed and had a place to sleep. And so we, we told him, he said, any time you feel like you're on the edge or you need some food, some help, some love, some peace, you know where to go. And it can start with us. It can start with us. We, we told him, you know, you know where we're at. <laughs> And so my whole perspective changed through prayer, through Holy Spirit speaking to me. The, 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 the greeting door opened the door. I hope you see it for redemption. And that's powerful. That's why yesterday's outreach right here in our office building over there, 325 plus plates of families and kids that walked through our doors was so great. Why is it? What, what if we just lived our lives like that? What if we move towards people who are broken instead of away from them? It's not always easy. We had a kid in our, our student ministry in Bayfield that was so bold in his faith. And we took him and his sister to a training and they ended up launching a campus ministry right there in their high school. And the kid was voted by his peers Um, as a student of the year for his kindness. I don't remember what they called the award. But he ended up eventually becoming homecoming king. And he wasn't a jock or anything. He was just overwhelmingly kind to everybody. And um, I remember one time he was telling me about a time where he he got this creepy guy um, to get off of hitting one of our other youth group girls, or one of our girls in the youth group at class. And um, I remember as he was telling this story, this was happening in the lunchroom, and he told me, he told me um, how he started to intervene. I remember saying to him, oh, you know, so you, now you're walking with her from the lunchroom now, right? You're, you're walking with her because, you know, she's part of our youth group and you're doing that. And he said, what he said in response blew me away. <laughs> he said, nah, she already knows Jesus. She'll be fine. But he doesn't. So I'm walking with him. As a 16-year-old kid. I was like, yes, I'm so glad to hear you say that because as your pastor, I was just about to tell you to do that. <laughs> I was going to recommend that activity. <laughs> I'm glad that you have learned I release you, young Padawan. <laughs> all right. Think about what kind of difference that would make. And as far as it depends on me, I want to bring peace to all men. It's easy to say it's a little bit harder to live out, but are you willing to do the same to acknowledge people, to really see them. You don't know how their lives will change. Saul of Tarsus was murdering people when God came to Ananias, and do you know what he asked him to do? Saul's coming to your town. Go greet him. And God... You know, Ananias' response at first was, God, I don't think you understand. Saul of Tarsus, you remember who he is? He's killing people. He's killing people like me. I think you might be misinformed as to who you're dealing with. And God says, no, you heard me right. Go greet him. Go meet him on the road. Why? Because you have no idea what I've done in his heart. And you're going to be an instrument that I use to make a Saul into a Paul, a murderer into a minister. You go greet him. He's, just be nice. And trust me to do the rest. Paul. Who knows what might change as a result. If there's someone you just need to say hi to, some family member that you just need to write a letter to, not dig up all the past, but to simply say, hey, Merry Christmas. You know, somebody you need to extend kindness towards. You may not solve everything, but you may solve something. I want to encourage you as we close, don't underestimate the power of small actions. Some of you may hear this and you go, okay, you you want us to walk out of here and pray for our enemy every day and then greet people. You know, greet a stranger on the street. Maybe even greet an, an enemy. Just say hi to people. Well, here's the thing. You'll get rejected. Do it anyway. Because this is standard behavior for kingdom culture. Do it anyway. If you think that you're not really gonna make a difference, let me tell you something. Small changes in a diet will make a big difference over time. right? If you're taking small steps up a mountain, you'll eventually climb that mountain. Small seeds. Some of you experienced this before you can take a bag of seeds and throw them out in your backyard and it will create an ocean of sunflowers kind of startling right and you're like wow something so small did something so big that's possible i look at this room and i think about you know how the vision started in brent tana's basement our founding pastors and has grown to what it is today It's about loving people. It's about being nice to people. It's about showing people the love of Jesus, the shalom that he brings to this world. And that kindness is attractive. We had 325 plus people walk through our doors yesterday because small acts of kindness can do great things and have a great impact. Let's stand. Some of you know the struggle of of doing a hundred piece or a 500 piece or even maybe a thousand piece puzzle with your kids um, it's a big deal right because finding you know all the connecting pieces and even the time um, can be challenging kids can lose their patience it's, it's a process to work through and then what's more frustrating is getting to the end of the project and it's just that one piece that is missing and, and I don't know if I can communicate to you how frustrating that is right? It's just like, I've just got to pray. 999 pieces is not acceptable. And that's when you start throwing pillows and, and lifting furniture, maybe even turning over some tables to find that one piece. And when you find that piece, it's like all the angels in heaven are singing, right? And as I think about that, I think about you because some of us are going this morning, what difference is it gonna make if I just say hi to somebody on the street tomorrow? What difference is it gonna make if I just bring a little kindness to my office or to my classroom? What difference is it gonna make if I'm slow to anger in my home? God's not asking you to change the whole world, but Jesus is putting together a picture of thousands, And he's just asking you to be your piece. So don't be like the missing puzzle piece that's just gonna tuck into the couch, hidden and comfortable, but doing nothing. You are meant to be a part of a bigger picture with us. Don't miss your place. Don't be the missing piece, amen. All right, Father God, thank you for your shalom. God, thank you that we get to be a part of your story here on this planet. God, what a privilege and what a joy. God, as we're released from here this morning, we're sent ones. You're sending us, your sons and daughters, to be your hands outstretched. And God, we wanna extend your peace beyond the expected boundaries. Lord, use us to pray for our enemies to effect change, Lord, in our culture in ways that only you can do that doesn't even make sense according to scripture, to be peacemakers, God, I pray that you would use us to greet those that you bring to us and change Saul's into Paul's, murderers into ministers, God. I pray that you would use us in the story, even if they are small things, Lord, to be the, the coat bearers that you've called us to be in every step of the way. God, your story, every step is an important part when it's directed and guided by you. So God, I pray as we go into this Christmas week, let us be the peacemakers that you've called us and crafted us to be. In your mighty name we pray, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to make an invitation this morning. You might be in this place this morning and you have not said yes to the Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus. And uh, we don't want a weekend to go by without extending that invitation. I believe that you are here for a reason this morning and if Holy Spirit is speaking in you and you feel that nudge this morning, do not leave this place without saying yes to him. He has a purpose and a plan for your life that's bigger than you can think of or imagine to flourish. Doesn't mean it won't be hard, but he is forever faithful. Yesterday, today, and forever. If that's you with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand? Am not going to embarrass you? I just want to pray with you this morning. Is there anybody in the place this morning? If you need a resurrender this morning, thank you, Jesus. All right. Father God, seal this time in your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Yeah. Praise God.